You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Ishtar, a bearded goddess of sex and war from ancient Mesopotamia. She was hot-tempered with a lust for conquest, and her priestesses were transgender. Oya, Yoruba goddess of the wind, storms, lightning, tornadoes, thunder, commerce, and war. She rules the destruction that comes before positive change. Atalanta, fleet-footed huntress and heroine of ancient Greece who joined the Argonauts. She helped slay the Caledonian boar, and refused to marry any man who couldn't beat her in a foot race. She also became a PDA lion. Eats Papa Lotol, a skeletal warrior goddess of the Aztec pantheon, sometimes depicted with butterfly wings lined with obsidian knives. This episode is part of our Women of Myth series, where we interview podcasters, authors, scholars, and more about the amazing women of world mythology. It's based on our book of the same name, Women of Myth, Illustrated by the amazing Sarah Richard, it's available wherever books are sold or go to ancienthistoryfangirl.com to find links to a bookstore near you. Sometimes we all just have to admit that the Witch King is fucking hot as balls, okay? I'm Jen McMenemy. I'm, Je- I'm Jenny Williamson. And I'm Jen McMenemy. And this is Ancient History Fangirl. This week, we are thrilled to welcome friend of the podcast, Liv Albert, onto the show. Liv is the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, a podcast all about Greek mythology. She is the author of Greek Mythology, The Gods, Goddesses, and Heroes Handbook, and Nectar of the Gods, From Hera's Hurricane to the Appletini of Discord. 75 mythical cocktails to drink like a deity. She is also our Spartacus Monday friend and Greece travel companion, and we love her. Liv, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you for that introduction. Oh, my gosh. That was so formal and fancy. Look at me. (laughs) I know you're a fancy lady now. (laughs) (laughs) God, no. But I sound fancy on paper. Semi-professional. I did appreciate Grease Travel (laughs) Companion. I prefer that as my title. That's the foremost title, really. (laughs) I wrote books? Whatever. I'm the Grease Travel Companion. We have all hung out in Grease many times. We've only hung out in person in Grease, and I think that is just deeply acceptable. That's true, but it is going to change next week. <laughs> so I think it's safe to say that Liv's passion for Greek mythology is her profession. It's her whole entire world. But, but Liv has another passion, a not well-hidden passion. And that passion <laughs> aligns very closely with ours. It is a deep and abiding love of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> 
The Lord of the Rings as part of our Women of Myth series, because that's what we've gathered here to talk about today, although we probably will also talk about the men of Lord of the Rings and basically just the rings of Lord of the Rings. Uh, and I do, obviously, we're going to focus on the women, but there is no way that I'm going an entire episode without espousing on the wonders of Aragorn. So you'll have to drag me kicking and screaming if you want that to stop. I mean, I don't want to live in a world where we drop an episode and we don't espouse on those wonders live. I don't want to do it. Viggo Mortensen is dreamy. Can I tell you guys, before we get into seriousness, and but also it can stay in the episode, uh, what I'm doing at the end of March, which is that I'm getting my first ever Lord of the Rings tattoo, which is a long time coming because I also have been deeply and completely and ridiculously obsessed with the Lord of the Rings since the absolute first moment that the movie opened on Fellowship of the Ring in the year 2001. That is the day that my life changed and I became ridiculous. I I was not. Actually, no, I was ridiculous about Dark Angel and then I became ridiculous about Lord of the Rings. But truly, like, I have been getting tattoos for 17 years and somehow I do not have a Lord of the Rings related tattoo and that is going to change at the end of the month. And I am so excited. That's amazing, and I'm so fucking jealous. Oh, my God. You have all the tattoos I want on my body. Amazing. Uh, I'm getting too many, but that's fine. The only amount that you need is one more than you have. That's exactly right. So, are you more of a book nerd or a movie nerd, Liv? <laughs> I don't like to choose, um, but in terms of my knowledge points, um, I do know The Fellowship of the Ring better than I know my own mind. And by that, I mean the movie. So yeah, I do know that movie better than life itself, truly. I've read the books a few times, but not for a long time. So yeah, I would say like if I had to pick, I definitely am more knowledgeable about the movies, primarily The Fellowship of the Ring, the movie which I can quote, I would say 95% of it. Would you like to? Formal invitation. (laughs) Oh my god. It's like, it's almost like that I've done this to you guys so many times that you know I want to be asked that. <laughs> you may. <laughs> um, yes, I would like to quote the Lord of the Rings. The world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. And I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. For none now live who remember it. It began with the forging of the great rings. <laughs> Three were given to the elves, immortal, wisest, and fairest of all creatures. Seven to the dwarf lords, great miners and craftsmen of the mountain halls. And nine, nine rings were gifted to the race of men, who above all else desire power. For within these rings was bound the strength and will to govern each race. But they were all of them deceived, for another ring was made. In the land of Mordor, in the fires of Mount Doom, the Dark Lord Sauron forged in secret a master ring to control all others. And into this ring he poured his cruelty, his malice, and his will to dominate all life. One ring to rule them all. One by one, the free lands of Middle-earth fell to the power of the ring. (laughs) But there were some who resisted. A last alliance of men and elves marched against the armies of Mordor, and on the slopes of Mount Doom, they fought for the freedom of Middle-earth. And that's where I'll stop. You're welcome. (laughs) What a wonderful segue into this episode. That was a thing of beauty, Liv, and it always is a thing of beauty whenever you drunkenly do that for us. I love it. 
I mean, yeah. And I think the listener might be interested in knowing that the, I mean, I'm not lying if I say I do that, like literally all the time. Like, I mean, to varying levels of success because most of my friends shut it down. Not us. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. And I respect that. But no, me and my, one of my oldest friends in the world, Linnea, she and I do this always. Uh, and it is like the foundation of our friendship is the volume of Fellowship of the Ring that we can both quote to each other at any given moment. That is like 40 to 60% of any valid friendship is Lord of the Rings quotes, in my opinion. So, um, how did you initially fall in love with Lord of the Rings? Tell us your origin story. Oh my god, I would love to Jenny Williamson. I kind of already hinted at it. Um, so I was uh, 13 when the movie came out, the first one, and... I remember so explicitly seeing all the trailers and just thinking I was so deeply disinterested. Like, I just thought that I didn't care about it at all and that I didn't want to see it. I had this, like, weird aversion to it based on the trailers. And then we, like, went, I think, on Christmas. And so it was, like, a big family thing. And so I was kind of dragged to see it. And then I lost my fucking mind. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, truly, like... I know the movie ended and I just I remember just kind of sitting there and staring at the screen and just thinking I mean there's there's a TikTok audio that's going around and and has been for a while and it's like well this is gonna be my personality for the rest of my life and that is exactly true like I mean honestly we're at what like 22 years later almost and it's like nope But yeah, like to the point where I think that it must have been like a little bit before Christmas, something happened basically in the time frame. I wish I could remember it because I think about this a lot. But like, basically, it meant that uh, I ended up getting the books for Christmas or shortly after my aunt gave them to me. And we're talking so I'm a 13 year old. It's Christmas break. I'm in grade eight. And in however long, you know, Christmas break is when you're in middle school, whatever length of time that was, I read all three of them in. Which I think at 13 is like a good indicator of what your entire life is going to become. Like if if I could read that, those long books, all three just over Christmas break. And then I like moved directly onto the Silmarillion and read the Silmarillion when I was 13. And then I think I read The Hobbit after all of that. Like I think I read the Silmarillion before The Hobbit, which is certainly not how most I think get to Lord of the Rings. That's that's my same order except except for the Silmarillion, which I have never read. And I am going to have an unpopular opinion. I did not enjoy The Hobbit. No, no, I'm with you. I think that The Hobbit is a really good entry point if it is your entry point. But I think if your entry point is Lord of the Rings, you don't care about The Hobbit. I think that's the kind of the key. I think that's a fact. I, I remember as a child watching, there's a 1970s cartoon. Yes, the cartoon! It, it was, like, seminal. Like, I remember watching it and thinking I had fallen into this dream world. It was, like, my subconscious speaking to me that was older than I was. That's exactly it. Like, it just became, like, I just felt like I needed and deserved and was meant to be in Middle Earth. I think I used to, like, go to sleep at night sometimes and just, like, pray. I, I didn't pray. I'm not religious at all. But just, like, stand at my window and just close my eyes and think, like, I'm going to wake up in Middle Earth. It was almost, for me, like, like somebody gave me drugs. Like... I had some kind of hallucinogen at five, and it just changed my brain. So I feel like I came to Lord of the Rings so much later than you guys. 
I remember my middle brother getting the books one Christmas when he was probably about 10. He started with The Hobbit and went through them all. And I, for some reason, remember these being quite in the harmful early 90s way, gendered as boys' books. So my mom... It was very complicated because, you know, when you have three siblings and and you're the oldest and you've got two brothers, you know, my parents are like, oh, Jen, you're going to read Little Women, which is a very good book. But I was not given the leather bound set of Lord of the Rings. And I was not given the ability to, like, dive into that world because it became my brother's thing. Although my mom never like my mom pushed us to read everything from romance novels to whatever graphic novels to whatever took her fancy. So I don't know why, but growing up, I kind of felt like I got older beyond Lord of the Rings and didn't come back to it until 2001 when the movie came out. And I was like, you know, I need to read all of these books as quick as possible because I have lived too much of my life not in Middle Earth. And then I also I got I remember going to Borders. It was one of the the big book chains. I remember going there with my mom and getting they had a three book bind up. It was huge with the, you know, seminal Nazgul on the cover. And I got the huge bind up and I read it not as fast as Liv. I think it took me from the summer break and I finished it all. I'm a much slower reader, though. Yeah, my dad gave me the the trilogy when I was like 10 or 11 for Christmas one year. It was these the three like absolutely beautiful books, you know, ruins on the cover and gold. And I lost the first one. The fellowship still don't know where it is. If I ever find it again, I'll be really happy. But um, I just devoured it and then just continued to go back to the beginning and read it over and over again for like years of my life. I mean, for me, like I think because of the timing, because I'm to the listeners, like I'm, you know, a handful of years younger than you guys. And so because it was the movie that introduced me, I didn't go back and like I've reread the books a few times, but it was so easy to go and be back in that world without reading the books. Like I, re- I read them a handful of times, but I know for me, my like big ridiculousness is that I was <laughs> so proud about this because it's 2001. I was 13, right? I saw the movie in theaters 10 times. Like, who took me to the movie 10 times? Who paid for that? I was 13. I certainly didn't have a job. My parents are not the type of well off. Well, we're not well off at all. But like, like movies were not you don't you're not going 10 times and having your parent pay for it. Like, I just don't even know how I managed it. It was like, I guess my allowance just taken me to that movie 10 times. And then my big thrill of the 11th was when I lived in Toronto because they did one of those um, symphony performances. So like the Toronto Symphony Orchestra played fellowship and did all the live music and like had three choirs like they had a women's choir men's choir and a children's choir to do like every moment of that score like I I still like the feels I have thinking about it it's like one of the greatest moments of my life (laughs) like oh Oh, God. Yeah, the music. Yes. Like, my relationship to the movie is that I came to it a little bit later. I think I was maybe late high school or something when it came out, and I was very skeptical of it because I was so passionate about the books. I was like, they're going to fuck it up. I'm not going to like this. Like... There's no way they can anyone can do it justice. I was very hesitant about these movies, but I absolutely fell in love with them. And I think that Peter Jackson did a really good job. And I think that one of the things that I loved about the movies was that it added to the book. It didn't take away. And one of the obviously we have to bring him up. Viggo Mortensen, Aragorn. Like he he made Aragorn sexy. Like I kind of didn't see him as sexy <sighs> in the books. But like I was watching this as like a high schooler or something. And I was just like, oh, my God, Aragorn is so hot. Why is he so dreamy? Aragorn is he is the fucking hottest. <laughs> 
first off, Aragorn is so hot is 100% true. But the first time I saw these, because I was much younger um, when I first saw these. Jenny and I are contemporary. I'm a little younger than her. But the first time I saw these, I was like, I'm sorry, Legolas? I kind of love that elf. Aragorn was still super hot, but like he was not. As I've gotten older, I'm like, Aragorn is clearly the hottest, most beautiful. But like when I was younger, it was a little reverse for me. I was absolutely team Aragorn. (laughs) I was all about Legolas number one. Like Legolas was it, but also Frodo because he like Elijah Wood is certainly closest to my age. One of the greatest things my friend Linnea has ever done is to visually realize how much Certainly at the time of the video, she looked like Frodo, who was her like, he was her biggest crush. Like she's a year younger than me. She and I, like I said, have based, (laughs) I I don't want to say our entire friendship because that feels limiting because I do love her. But an enormous part of our friendship is based on the Lord of the Rings and our shared passion. And she loved Elijah Wood more than anything in this world. And she made like this incredible reel last year or the year before. Where it's like, oh, they say often you'll like grow up to date somebody who's like your, you know, middle school crush or whatever. And then she was like, and then she showed her middle school crush, which is Frodo, and then herself. And like the level that at the time she looked exactly like him, it's really, truly like magnificent. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Whoever whoever did the Hobbit hair at that point in time was super spot on. Those curls were amazing. Particularly his. Yeah. Yeah. All those floppy curls and like you know Frodo had these big beautiful soulful eyes he oh there were so many blue eyes in this movie and Frodo's were the bluest of the blue and that's another thing that kind of added to the experience as opposed to taking away is I didn't think of Frodo as like this soulful deep hobbit well I also think that the movie's making them all younger like accessibly younger was really helpful too because when you're reading the books you're like okay Frodo's 50 And then in the movies, it's like, no, wait, no, no, no. Let's make him like 20, (laughs) you know? I mean, realistically, 50 in Hobbit years is like 20. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. But when you're reading it, it doesn't make any sense. And so I think that was like incredibly helpful in terms of like making it accessible to younger people, too. I love the idea that 50-year-old men were writing this book. And they're like, well, in Hobbit years, we're still in our 20s. We're not sitting in a pub in Oxford drinking and wondering what happened with our youth. Yeah, 50s young. <laughs> yeah, I think I think now looking back in hindsight, there's there's a certain middle-aged energy coming out of some of this. But also like, I mean, I I'm being very facetious, which is is a little unfair here, but I do I do think it's it's kind of a little bit adorable that that's the case. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly 
misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir de zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. So one of the things that we did the last time we went to Greece together was the Rings of Power had just come out. And um, I have this vivid memory of being in the airport and Liv and Jen FaceTiming me in the airport aggressively (laughs) insisting that I watched like the first episode of Rings of Power. So I'm like, okay, I think I've got like an hour before my plane leaves. I'm pretty sure I can fit it in. And then we all got caught up and and watched the rest together, or at least, you know, the episodes that came out while we were in Greece together, talked about it. And now we have since all caught up with the first season of the Rings of Power. So Liv, what's your opinion of how women are depicted in Rings of Power and how that's changed from the women of Tolkien who are depicted in the movie and the book. Like, because I think I think we can all agree that depictions of women in Lord of the Rings have changed. Yeah, because they're not good in the books. <laughs> they're really not good in the book. And do you know how many people are still annoyed that Peter Jackson made it so that Arwen saved Frodo at, at the, like, Weathertop? It's like... Thank fuck. Like, thank fuck. Because otherwise, she would have literally just been Aragorn eye candy. Like, that would have been the whole of her role. And at the very least, we get introduced to her in this heroic role. And is it Glorfindel who gets that taken away from him? Like, fuck you, Glorfindel. That was Arwen's. It's fine. What does she do in the book? She just kind of sits there. Like, she's kind of inert, right? Yeah, she's just like kind of there to be like Aragorn's love interest and to be like a foil to Eowyn later. And generally to just, like, give him this kind of, like, elven importance. Yeah. And I will say, like, as a kid, Eowyn was really, really important to me. My parents named their dog Eowyn. She was so important to me because she was kind of, if this was, like, the 80s, you know, she was kind of, like, the first time, or, you know, early 90s, the first time I had really seen a heroine who sword fought. And that wasn't that big then. It's a lot bigger now. But, like, back in the day, like, you didn't have a lot of, like, female ass-kicking warriors in in literature and cartoons and movies and stuff. And, like, Robin McKinley was another one, the hero in the crown, where, like, you had, like, this ass-kicking, sword-wielding heroine. Like, and that those were, like, really groundbreaking to me. And I remember telling, like, a boyfriend in college this, and he was, like, purported to also be a Lord of the Rings fan. He's like, oh, I don't even remember who Eowyn was. And I'm like, What? Tolkien's one of the ones where, like, because I read him so much later than you guys did, and because I read him as, a like, an, an English writing literature major, that I really struggle to separate what I think he was doing with the, like, analogies to war and women's roles and that kind of stuff uh, in, in relation to his trauma he felt after World War One 
So a part of me is like, I get what he was doing and what he was trying to do with like women don't have places here and blah, 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 blah. But also I feel very angry about it all the time because I'm like, you know, they do though. Um, And Eowyn to me was so important because growing up, again, I hadn't read these books until I was much older. So like I loved books like The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle. And there was like this whole series of like women. It was in the mid 90s, I think. Like girls in different roles in history who did things like outside of the realm. So like for me, I always identified with these girls who did things that were not the norm. They were going to be a sailor or they were going to be a healer or they were going to run away and fight. Like Atalanta, as we all know, is my favorite because she was like, no, no, this is how I'm going to live my life. So of course, Eowyn was hands down my favorite. I have a lot of problems with what happens to Eowyn's story later on um, after her big moment. But I do think that she's super seminal for a reason. Tolkien did her dirty at the end. Absolutely. What happens to her again? She has her big battle with the Witch King and kicks his ass and whips off her helmet and shakes her hair out and says, I am no man. Eowyn am I. And hacks his head off. I am no man. (laughs) I remember that in the cartoon when I was five, too. So, like, after that, after that amazing moment, she just goes back and and becomes a healer. Isn't she? Who does she marry? She marries Faramir. She goes to the Houses of Healing, and this is when Tolkien really gets into his Jesusness of it all. Aragorn, as the returning king, is imbued with Jesus-like powers, where he's able to heal Eowyn, who shouldn't be able to be healed because of this wound inflicted on her by the Witch King. And then he also heals Mary, who fought at Eowyn's side and also had like an unhealable wound. Like he calls them back from the near brink of death. And then he goes to Faramir, who's Boromir's brother, who was also wounded. And he calls him back and heals him. And then Eowyn and Faramir like spend the rest of the war kind of like healing together in a hospital and being the second string characters and falling in love. And it's just like Eowyn takes off as she's been called back to this life, her Valkyrie armor, and learns to become a good wife and rule at Faramir's side and do all the things her uncle wanted her to do. Yeah, and I'm not gonna, like, I'm not trying to disparage people who go into nursing or anything like that, but, like, obviously it's extremely important and admirable. But, like... It's about gender roles, like breaking out of it for a minute and then going right back to her original gender roles that she felt so entrapped by before, but yet somehow does not now. Looking at it in that way, it's it's really dark, but also you can look at it from a more modern realm, which is Eowyn is real PTSD here. And so does Faramir and the two of them heal together. And this is how they're able to forge forward and find a life for each other. And that life for Eowyn after the combat she was in is not maybe the life she saw before. So I think like it is a complex story that I don't always give the complexity it deserves because I am very much like, but why would she choose that? It's possible that what he's saying is like, you go into war as like a person who's willing to fight and lay down your life and you kind of leave and you're like, is that really what I wanted to do? Jen, that's a very adult way of looking at it. I feel like as a kid, I was just like not having that at all. I agree. And I think part of life and living where I live is I do know a lot of veterans who suffer from PTSD. And so it's just a more nuanced view that I've never had until the past few years. I've always been very angry about it. Still a bummer, though. <laughs> Liv, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think, like, I mean, I agree. Like, it's a bummer, and I do agree. There's also lots more nuance to it, if you look at it that way. For me, <laughs> I think that, I don't know. I I don't know what I, like, wanted back then when I was first seeing it. Because I think I, I think I was so taken with the romance of Aragorn and, and Arwen that I was, like, 
just annoyed by Eowyn, which in hindsight, I do not love about myself. Yeah, Eowyn, I was like, dude, he's not going to like give over the immortal elf woman for you. Find someone who's relatable. But that's me. I always felt that way. No, but I think that's true. And like, I, I think a lot of people, I don't know, I, I've, I forget what kind of conversation I was having about this, but there was some, this came up for me fairly recently. And like, this idea, like that maybe she was led on by him. And I don't really think that's true. Like, I really think that Aragorn was just like, nice to her like he was just like not shitty but i don't think that he led her on like i think he made pretty clear throughout that he was like so i've got this elf that i've been in love with literally forever like and so i don't know it's interesting and, and again this is all based on the movies because i haven't read the books in like i think it's been like 10 years which is a travesty and i need to remedy this but but yeah no i think for me i, I thought it was like cool and badass but i was just like definitely too into their romance to like feel too strongly about anything else Oh, but it's so swoony, though. It is. Especially in the movie when Arwen has more of a role, like she's more active. Exactly. Like she is. Okay, that's the other thing I want to quote. My mother would be so proud of me right now. But I mean, her role in Fellowship is so great. Like, you know, being the savior at Weathertop and doing all that stuff. Um, And then the other thing that I memorized and used to just recite regularly in my younger age is the elven spell that she uses to call the horses in the river but before i recite that from 22 year old memory and by that i mean i'm not 22 but it has been 22 years that this has been stuck in my head but also i recently realized that those horses should be called hippopotamoi and i will bring that up at any possible opportunity because they are literally river horses well, in that mythology, they could also be Selkies, but yes. There are no Selkies in Middle-earth. They are Hippopotamoi. Okay, I'm not going to argue this with you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I did not ask for your opinion. I simply <laughs> stated that they are Hippopotamoi. They are river horses. They are horses made of the river. Liv, will you hit us with this spell? Nino Chathaglier lost to Bethdire, Rimon in Bruin and Denin Ulair. Nino Chathaglier lost to Bethdire, Rimon in Bruin and Denin Ulair. My God, you are such a nerd. I'm so cool. I don't know what you're talking about. Nerd. Nerd. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. I'm, in, I'm definitely the coolest person here. <laughs> really? <laughs> should, I, should I just final, finalize it with my third uh, quotable quote? I think you should. I think the time has come. This is a line from everyone's favorite hottest man alive. <clears throat> no, I don't know why this has always been my favorite, but um, it is when the the Aragorn has saved the hobbits in Bree and they're like watching through the window as the ring wraiths fuck with the, you know, like stabbing the swords into the beds and you think that the hobbits are in the beds and then they're not and then you can hear the like screech of the nazgul fuck i love the nazgul more than anything but the hobbits are like what are they and then aragorn says they were once men great kings of men but then sauron the deceiver gave to them nine rings of power blinded by their greed they took them without question one by one falling into darkness now they are slaves to his will they are the nazgul ring wraiths neither living nor dead they will never stop hunting you where are they going, Liv? <laughs> They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. I don't think he knows about second breakfast. Ash on my tomatoes. This is fucking genius. This is the best episode we've ever done. Eleven seas, luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about those, doesn't he? I don't think so, Pip. 
Getting back to the um to the women of it all, how do you feel about women in the rings of power and how things have changed from from Peter Jackson to now? So I really I enjoy the rings of power. I, Lord of the Rings is one of these things for me where like I will take anything they give us. Like I will take whatever middle. Actually, you know what? Ah, oh, that's a damn lie. The Hobbit is so fucking bad. Um, okay, never mind. The Hobbit is so fucking bad, not because they didn't try to make a good movie, but because they tried to make one good movie over the course of three movies. And they really like, it's like the end of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Like the first two aren't terrible. And then you're just like, what am I watching? And why do we keep repeating the same tricks? The Hobbit is just so bloated, so long. And like, it's it's just unnecessary. But they do do things in The Hobbit that I respect. It's just way too long. Yeah. I haven't even seen them all. I saw the first two, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I guess I can't say that I'll take anything. Um, but I don't know. With The Rings of Power, I think, I think that I also just am like, I'm just happy for more. And so I, while I know a lot of people have like valid complaints about Rings of Power, I just enjoyed it. I really like Galadriel. She's really great. Just generally the women in it broadly, I I very much enjoy. I like that they're making a point to include them, to just have women and have people of color and women of color. And I mean, I think just generally them being made in the current climate is so great. And like they really took that into consideration. And for all the misogynist racists out there who are just like so mad that there are ladies and like not white people in Middle Earth. um, I'm really glad that that like the show didn't cave to that for even one second. And I hope they continue to not cave to that. That's the one problem that a lot of people have rightfully so with the Peter Jackson movie is that it is whole white. Oh my god, is it ever it's very 2001. Like not that that's okay. But like it is, you know, It's not that it's okay. I think that we are looking at something that essentially at 20 years has become a capsule piece. And I think that for the time period, the, and I put these in quotes, changes that they made to the script to allow women to have any kind of authority or larger roles like the Arwen of it all were shocking and met with a lot of backlash. And I am glad we live in a world now where we can have something like Rings of Power where We can complexly imagine a fantasy world where not everyone is white. What a concept. I know. Like, shocker that if you can have magic and ring wraiths and trolls and stuff, you can also have heroes who are not white. Like, you can also have black people. What? Indeed. Isn't that a breakthrough? Can we? This is probably not on topic, except for that it's Lord of the Rings. But I would like to talk about how wonderful the witch king of angmar is and the nazgul broadly so i can i can set this up for you Liv. so who's your favorite villain of lord of the rings well it's the witch king of angmar jenny i love the witch king so much why do you love the witch king so 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 much please tell us i mean i i just think that they are some of the greatest villains visually ever like the way i mean the way they're introduced just like 
the Nazgul of it all, you know, with the horses and that that f- the first time we get like the real good close up, which is when the hobbits are like hiding under the root and the Nazgul are like right over them. I had a poster of that in my bedroom. I think about it all the time. And like the bugs come out and like, oh my God, it's so good. Um, but then when we get like the second kind of like the big close up of them on Weathertop where Frodo puts on the ring like a dumbass because he's always doing that. And that's where we get this idea or like the the visualization of what they look like under and you see the actual Witch King and you see his like badass crown and oh, I just fucking love them. They're almost like mummified under there. Exactly. And then when they come out later, like at the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, when fucking Witch King of Angmar comes out riding a goddamn dragon with his crown on, and I just think, I want you to win. Like, I wish he'd won. I could have watched everyone lose to the fucking Witch King. And then the rest of the movies are about the Witch King, and he's the, like, main character. That'd be great. Yeah, I want to see him fall in love with another Nazgul. Liv, I'm gonna come to your Nazgul wedding. <laughs> Sometimes we all just have to admit that the Witch King is fucking hot as balls, Okay. I get so angry because I feel like there's this great side story that was never written about the the Nazgul and particularly the Witch King. Because like, I think it's delved a little bit more in the books about how when he comes down on the battlefield, like he brings this utter feeling of despair and like misery and horror. And he's got this ability to like kind of invoke different forms of mental illness. And like, it's not just that when he comes, he's the baddest ass fighter. Because he is. He's also been imbued with all of these powers to really psychologically destroy his enemy. You know what that's based on, Jen? It's the Morrigan. That's what the Morrigan's power is. And also potentially things like sarin gas during World War One. But yes, yes. But the Morrigan has that has that psychological energy too, and, and her power is all about like reciting war poetry that really gets under the skin of the of the enemy and makes them run into the sea. Well, and washing your clothes in the ford to let you know that you're gonna die the next day. Like she's so badass. Like she's there walking the battlefield. We've got an incredible illustration of her by Sarah Richard um, in our book. I've actually just framed it, Jenny. Well, let's get back to the Nazgul, though, because Liv was going somewhere with that. (laughs) Two things to say. Both are very important. Number one is I think the most starstruck I have ever been in my life is when I got invited to be at the Vancouver Fan Expo right before the pandemic started. And... (laughs) All the people and the characters and the costumes and stuff, right? And um, the the Witch King was just walking around and like, I nearly died. It was like a perfect costume. You could not see a difference between this man's costume and the movie. And with the crown and everything, like, it was life changing. I have a video where I like, I like sneakily I didn't need to sneak like he's just walking around he's like part of the thing but I was like oh my god it's the witch king of Angmar and I was like losing my fucking mind at the like comfortable age of 32 just like oh my god it's the witch king but also importantly is that like all of this kind of like more story that you're talking about granted like not in that time frame but like do you know who the Nazgul are right So there is no reason that we would not get an origin of the fucking Nazgul in Rings of Power. Could we get an origin of the fucking Nazgul in the fucking Rings of Power? I would like that. I would appreciate that. 
I would cry so hard. They're going to have to make nine rings for men at some point. They did spend a lot of time in that forge smelting things, so you would think they'd get around to smelting those nine rings. They will, but they don't have to they don't have to smelt them as early cuz men die a lot sooner, right? Like the people you need to get on board who have the longevity and the long lives first are the elves and then the dwarves and then the men's. The Nazgûl have a long lifespan once they put those rings on, which is why they look undead. Well, exactly. They all get them at the same time. The Nazgûl yeah, or just like dead as fuck because they're the ones that Sauron the Deceiver gifted them nine rings of power, blinded by their will. They took them without question, one by one, falling into darkness. So uh, there's a certain hot Sauron, spoilers, hot Sauron is going to make them. I called it from the beginning. I was like, that dude is Sauron and he's hot and I'm here for it. I don't want to admit how right you were, but you were really right. Jenny and I are both like, no, no, it's not going to be him. (laughs) There are going to be spoilers for Rings of Power. Just FYI, I will put it in the show notes that there are spoilers. So we can freely discuss. Sexy, sexy (laughs) Sauron. (laughs) (laughs) What was that guy's name? Like, Haldir. Yeah, it's Haldir. Oh, no, it's not. Haldir is the elf. Haldir is um, the elf who's actually his grasses we just call him hot sauron there's <laughs> grasses Haldir is literally hot glabber <laughs> whole brand it's whole brand hot sauron do you understand why i'm the good plot doctor here is because i saw that a million miles away i, I refuse to accept hall brand as sauron until the end when i realized how much time Hallbrand was spending in, in like the elves' palaces smelting. He had this sudden interest in smelting. And I was like, oh, hmm, <laughs> I guess I was wrong. Some of us just like to smelt, Jenny. God. Oh, that pulls me right in to before we get to Hot Sauron, except that this is like actually related to Hot Sauron, is that did you guys know? And I haven't looked into the details on this. I've just like seen people talking about it. That like Peter Jackson is the one who invented the idea of the eye like being in the tower that's like apparently not described in the books (laughs) like i think he's just completely bodiless well i think in in the books he's like very vaguely described like he's kind of this sort of force of evil that is disembodied but i thought he was also an eye like the eye of sauron like that's in the books am i insane I don't know. I mean, I just I meant to like look that up, but I read about it in a couple places. And then I was like, what the actual fuck? So I'm going to do a quick Google right now. But I mean, the interesting thing about him being completely bodiless and like sort of floating in there is, you know, he's in the Palenthia, which are these seeing stones. But to me, like, it's super fascinating that he's able to corrupt kind of anything he touches and his influence is everywhere invisibly moving things around and I'm like that is real dark that's what I liked so much about hot Sauron in rings of power and something that I really think that they added to the canon you know like we were talking about Peter Jackson adding adding and not taking away like they gave Sauron a personality it gave him like an affect like he was a relatable guy and he and Galadriel now have this history they saved each other's lives they patched each other up when they were wounded they now have this connection and if you take that forward into what we know about the events in Lord of the Rings, then it just adds all this richness underneath. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got distracted because I'm totally wrong. (laughs) But like, I'm trying to think of what people were talking about then because there was certainly something. But anyway, no, Um, the, the eye is definitely in the books. That's what I thought. Sorry, yeah. But I uh, to pull back to what I did hear you say while I was reading that and thinking about how wrong I was. It's so cool that Hot Sauron has this connection to Galadriel now, and now they have this history where they saved each other's lives and stuff. How much richer that makes Lord of the Rings. 
Well, that and sexual tension. <laughs> like, they had a lot of sexual tension. And the idea that Galadriel was, like, this close to fucking Sauron now is, like, so hot. And that Sauron is secretly fucking hot. Like, I am just... I am here for all of it. At that reveal at the end, I i mean, like, it was pretty obvious with the smelting. So, like, towards the last, I guess it was, like, two episodes, you're like, oh, man, I'm pretty sure Sauron is hot Sauron. But once it was, like, he, like, put on the cloak or whatever, like, overlooking what is now Mordor, I was like, you know what? I thought I was going to be disappointed if this super hot guy was Sauron, and I am so not disappointed <laughs> and you know it calls back to that time when he had this like sigil that Galadriel was like oh it means you're like you're related to the last king of the southlands and he's like i took it off a dead man that line just got so chilling once you realized what that meant i think one of the things that they did really well and i hope they continue to build on is the kind of corruptive pervasive evil that hot Sauron um, embodies is very seductive for a lot of reasons and there's this moment in that last hot Sauron you can seduce me anytime (laughs) and we're all drunk talking about hot Sauron not even I've had like five sips I just really fucking love hot Sauron and then we can just unironically call him hot Sauron (laughs) he's really hot okay (laughs) he's seriously hot like I'm never gonna stop calling him that My fucking friend, Linnea, who I've mentioned already multiple times, she can't listen to this because she hasn't fucking finished the show and I can't say the words Hot Sauron to her, so I will say them to you guys constantly. Hot Sauron forever. As I was saying, the great thing that they do with Hot Sauron and there's this great moment towards the end where Galadriel is really feeling herself sort of seduced, not just because of the sexual... Well, I mean, she's an elf and elves kind of always seem pretty asexual to me but she's very like seduced by this this vision of the future that Sauron gives her this like ability to have this power and to do good with it and to remake and rebuild the world in a way that seems plausible and good it's only as you're sort of going along that you're like oh this is she was tempted exactly she was tempted by the by the seduction of hot Sauron. And now you go back and you see the moment where that happens in Lord of the Rings. And it's like, that has a whole new meaning for me now. In place of a dark lord, you would have a queen. Not dark, but beautiful and terrible as the dawn. Treacherous as the sea. Stronger than the foundations of the earth. All will love me and despair. <laughs> I'm so glad that came out. <laughs> I love that so much because it pays, you know, you, that, that line which you have in fellowship is really paid it's seated in rings of power and you can see for a minute that galadriel is like yes this is the way forward she was tempted oh yeah she thinks about it yeah i passed the test but to me the interesting complexity here because i do feel there's a lot of like no moral gray in a lot of the lord of the rings right it's either right or wrong Here you're seeing that blurring of the line of what it means to have power and what it means to take that power to do good or how you can take that power meaning to do good and do really bad stuff. And that seems like something that has moved on a lot since the Peter Jackson movies and is really a good part of the series. I mean, it's in the Peter Jackson movies. It's just moved on further. It is. And it's in the books, too. Yeah, it is. But you're right. It's ex- it's expanded upon. Yeah, because certainly the Galadriel of it all is is in Lord of the Rings. But yeah, it it's more complex now. Gandalf does the same thing, right? Where he's like, 
I could not have it or whatever, you know, like he's like, I cannot have that power because he gets it. But yeah, no, I mean, it's it's much more like complex in Rings of Power personally while I was watching that episode where like all of the stuff is coming out with <laughs> with Hot Sauron and Galadriel. Like it was so fucking good that I was alone because I just kept yelling that whole line at my TV. Like, I swear I scared the cat. I was just like sipping my wine and screaming in place of a dark lord you would have a queen like just truly i just kept reciting it because it's like i just felt it all in my bones watching her experience that i was like this is it this is the moment (laughs) i think also he even says treacherous as the dawn or something he says like he quotes at least one just brief line from that speech and that's what made me it just like oh my god filled me with such like swirly joy of I fucking love Lord of the Rings can I just one of the loves the deep loves that we all have us three is Spartacus from stars there's so much crossover casting it was so fun when we were watching it together because at some point I just forced us all to pause it and I started screaming somebody's name. Was it? It was Barca. Barca was the sailmaster on one of the boats. It was Barca? Okay. He has like one line and I was like, it's, that's Barca. So Barca is in, he's one of the gladiators in Spartacus and um, the actor's name is Antonio Teomayoa. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Apologies if I did not pronounce that right, but I think that's how you say it. And I found a video of him just giving an interview with somebody like on YouTube somewhere and he had a t-shirt on and he had sunglasses that were kind of pushed up on his forehead. And I was just like, ah, that was Barca. And I was just like, it's just Barca as, as a normal guy. And I had to like be physically restrained from sending Liv a link to that YouTube video at like what would have been five in the morning her time. I mean, it was, yeah, it was fun seeing those connections mostly like with you guys or being able to text them. But I think we, we also realized the Navia when we were all together and like we just, there was a good few moments where we were all just like, oh my God, it's just like everyone from Spartacus because they filmed both in New Zealand. And it's just like, these are just Kiwis. Navia was the queen of the island of Numenor. But it was New Navia. And Crassus was an elf. I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's the one who died in the thing, right? <laughs> you don't have to give them spoilers. <laughs> We've already spoiled it all with Hot Sauron, Jen. I think it's done. If we spoiled Hot Sauron, nobody can get mad at us spoiling anything else. <laughs> We've done the big one. And for good measure, the stranger is Gandalf, you guys. Well, that that I actually <laughs> saw coming from like the first part. Yeah, me yeah. too. I think we all saw that one. The only one else it could be would be Saruman, but it's definitely Gandalf because his love of hobbits. So Liv, two of your big passions are Greek mythology and Lord of the Rings. I would say those are pretty big passions of yours. Is there something common that draws you to both or do you see them as totally different and why? Yeah. Um. What a well-worded and valid question jennifer williamson um it's almost like you're an interviewer well thank you Liv. albert (laughs) um yeah so no good question i think in my current life i like that they are totally separate and so i think they've kind of always been totally separate for me i definitely love lord of the rings first like in terms of straight up obsessions love lord of the rings first no question like i love i liked greek mythology thought it was cool but like Lord of the Rings 
truly and completely changed my life. Like, it changed the trajectory of my nerd personality in a way that, like, I don't think anything else could have. And, yeah, I mean, no. Lord of the Rings is my entire existence. But, yeah, I think I like that they're separate. So, in my head, they're just two completely different things. I've learned over the past, like, year or two even, just that I I need other things that I like (laughs) that aren't Greek mythology. I require them. And I'm sure that I could tell you so many connections and so many things that link Lord of the Rings to Greek myth, but I choose not to link them because they get to be two different things that I care about that are like, I just need things that I love that are not Greek mythology because as much as I love Greek mythology, it has become a a slight bit of too much of my life. (laughs) It seems to have taken over in certain ways. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of everything I know, and I'm trying to find myself having a personality outside of it. Understandable. This is why I was like, I want to have Liv on and have her talk about something completely unrelated to Greek mythology, but I still had to ask that question. I love it. I could talk about Lord of the Rings literally forever. Um, would you like to be asked a couple of questions from the um, special edition Lord of the Rings Trivial Pursuit movie edition? Heck yes. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> According to Frodo, which hobbit can't swim? Mary. Sam. Thank you, Jen. Obviously, it's Sam, Jenny. It's in the scene where he's on the boat and Frodo's trying to escape by himself. And then Sam goes after him and he can't swim. And so it's this whole dramatic moment where you think, I don't know, this is a little bit too, like, godlike of Frodo saving him, but it happens. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, next. I mean, that is the couple I ship the hardest. Also, Merry and Pippin, like, clearly. I think Frodo and Sam is canon. I do enjoy Merry and Pippin as a great example of, like, a platonic but deeply loving male relationship. Because I think those are necessary, too. But Frodo and Sam are definitely fucking. Um, okay, who tells Theoden of Gandalf's arrival in the Golden Hall? I might get this wrong, but Wormtongue? Wormtongue, indeed. Ahem. <clears throat> Uh, Oh, this one's fun. What shapes are the fireworks that the Hobbit children love chasing at Bilbo's party? Flowers, butterflies, or birds? I'm going to go with birds, but I'm not sure on this. Butterflies. (laughs) Jenny is correct. I just had to realize, like, oh, wait, this is about the movie. This is not about the books. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, this is just visualize it all. Which Middle Earth kingdom uses a golden sun symbol on its architecture and shields? It's not Gondor. I don't think it's Gondor. Um, wait, it's the one, it's the one that Aragorn inherits. It's Gondor. Ah, I guess it's gotta be Gondor because it's a horse on Rohan. It's not a horse on Rohan. It is Edoras. Oh, we were both wrong. What? This is an Aragorn question. So it's important. And if either of you get it wrong, you're gonna be in big trouble. Is Hot Sauron gonna spank us? (laughs) I mean, no, then you're gonna want to get it wrong. No, that's a, that's not if you get it wrong, exactly. That's if you get it right. <laughs> that's if you get the whole card right. <laughs> into it. <laughs> what does Aragorn fall into after the Rohan refugee attack? A cave, a river, or a boat? A cave. A river. Jenny, have you seen the movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where he goes underground and saves all the dead people. No, that's not what the question is about, though. It's about after he's attacked by the wargs, the wild riders of Isengard, I think, or just the wild riders. 
He gets knocked <laughs> off the cliff and falls into the raging river yeah. and is saved by a vision of yeah. Arwen pulling him to shore. And then the horse that he let go earlier has come and found him and brings him to Edoras so that he can take part in the yeah. Battle of Helm's Deep. Yeah. And what even is your life if you don't know that? <laughs> Thank you, Jen. Ugh. Um, there's a bonus question, which is... What cast member starred in Creature Features as Dracula and Frankenstein's monster? Christopher Lee. You're damn straight. That man was fucking iconic. What cast member was also a spy for the British intelligence agency? What cast member reread all of the Lord of the Rings books every single year for his, like, the entirety that they were published and the scope of his life? (laughs) What character was incredibly angry about the treatment of Sauron in the final films? Sir Christopher Lee. Fucking Christopher Lee. Iconic. Jen Jen gets the spanking from hot Sauron this round. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I mean, why else are we doing this? Who... In the Broken Fellowship, does Theoden address as Stormcrow in the Golden Hall? Oh, Gandalf. Gandalf. <laughs> that man has so many names. I love it. Um, what twosome does Gollum describe to Smeagol as sneaky little hobbitses? Frodo and Sam. Sam and Frodo. That's exactly right. Okay, this one's a good one. What three words are the last line of Balin's journal oh drums drums in the deep nope they are coming oh you're right jen shit i thought it was they cannot get we cannot get out that would that's more than three words yeah it was they're coming well done jen jen's gonna get spanked by hot sauron tonight (laughs) (laughs) that's why i'm playing this game okay this one's cute okay sorry i'm not done apparently what race of beings do all the Ents agree that Merry and Pippin are not members of? Not orcs. Not orcs. They're not. They're not orcs. That's right. What color eyes does the Urukai leader have who kills Boromir? And I would like you all to know that his name is Lertz. It's really unfortunate they're not going to use his first name. Lertz is the leader of the Urukai. Does he have dreamy blue eyes like Frodo? <laughs> I think they're red. No, but they're equally creepy to red. Yeah, I don't know what color I'm like. They're yellow. Um. Oh my god, I didn't even know this, and now it makes so much sense, and I love it. What's the source of the groans that awaken the imprisoned Gandalf on the top of Orthanc? It's not the insects. I have no idea what that is. Like the moth butterfly that comes to visit him. No, he comes after he's awake. There's a groan, the groaning that wakes him up. Oh, it's got to be like the birthing of the uruk I'm guessing. It's related to that. It's the uprooted Ents because they pull all the Ents out of the forest to make the uruk which I never even thought of that. Fucking love that. Oh my God. Oh, this one's the greatest because I like to quote it. <clears throat> what route does the fellowship take across the Misty Mountains before the Krebane spot them? Hang on, wait. I'll take the something route. Well, they went in the Mines of Moria. Yeah, but they have to go into the Mines of Moria because Saruman sends the, like, uh, avalanche. There's a fell voice on the air. I don't know. It's something I can't... But what do they originally 
where do they originally try to go? But they have to then go up into the mountains. They go up in the mountains in, in the high passes and it doesn't work out. And then they have to go up into the mountain. And the Krebane are when um, Legolas spots them. They're like, what's that on the air? But Legolas can see it because he has really good or, uh, elf eyes. And he's like, Krebane from Dunland. And they're the birds that are coming in. And then they got to hide. And then they got to take the Pass of Caladras. And then on the Pass of Caladras, it's the voice of Saruman on the air that causes the avalanches. And then because of all of that, they have to take the Mines of Moria. Which Gandalf says, I would not take the Mines of Moria unless there was no other way. Drums in the deep. We cannot, they cannot get out. God, I'm cool. <laughs> this is the nerdiest episode, deep dive ever. Maybe, maybe you're the one who deserves a spanking from Hot Sauron. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This is disappointing also. Some of these are like too easy, then some of them are too hard. It's weird. So... What kind of creature is the leader of Sauron's forces in the War of the Ring? And bonus, if you can name him, because the fucking card does not name him, and I love him more than life itself. Is it Lurch the Urukai? Are we talking about the Witch King? Yes. It's the Witch King of Angmar. And the answer to this is just Nazgul. Fuck you. Witch King, give him his due. Nazgul, human, corrupted human, as we all are. This is a silly bonus that's cute. What first name is shared by two actors in the cast of the Fellowship? Like the Nine Fellowship. Wait, what first name? Yeah. Two of the Nine have the same first name. It's not Vigo. It's not Vigo. <laughs> it's Sean. Did you say Sean? Yeah. Yeah. Sean Bean and Sean Astin. So this has been such a good time. <laughs> it was this fun to wallop you in uh, Lord of the Rings trivia, Denny. I'm going to go meet Hot Sauron behind the bleachers now. <laughs> God, I'm so sweaty just imagining that. Ew, this is not about you. No, it's not about you either. It is because I won and that's my prize. <laughs> Corrupt me, ring daddy. <laughs> Too far. <laughs> oh, no, that was just far enough. <laughs> Ring Daddy. Corrupt me, Ring Daddy. I have Sauron likes to watch. No! <laughs> I want Hot Sauron who participates. I'm not here for the eye. Okay. So I'm trying to close it out. It just got weird. It's my fault. I blame myself. It's 100% your fault. I don't know. You guys never get weird. <laughs> so try this again. This has been so fun. This has been very fun. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you to our dear <laughs> friend, Liv. You have been brilliant. <laughs> thank you to Aragorn for existing in our lives. Thank you. Thank you to all the uh, all those who appeared in this film. Um, hot Witch King, Hot Sauron. Vigo Mortensen, who I did meet one day. <laughs> no, but I mean Aragorn, you know, like I just mean Aragorn. Hot Aragorn is kind of redundant. So we just say Aragorn. Yeah, just Aragorn. Mm. Thank you all for listening to this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> we are Ancient History Fangirl. Liv, where can people find you? Well, that's a great question, Jen. They can find me on the internet. At? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I should get specific. Uh, you can find my podcast, Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, wherever you get your podcasts. I typically talk about myths, but I love Lord of the Rings more than life itself. 
you can follow me on various socials media at Myths Baby, and you can buy my books wherever you buy books and wherever you buy their book, These Ladies, of which I actually wrote the foreword. So you can collect them all. And they match. I think that's key, too. We look real good next to each other on a bookshelf. Yeah, they look beautiful. Yeah. And if you have all those books, just go and support Sarah Richard, who is an incredible artist. She's also on all the socials. And that is it. We are done. We are going to go meet Hot Sauron behind the bleachers. Yeah, we are. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) We will see you next week. (laughs) 